Welcome to Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley, and uh, we're continuing with our worship service. It's 5-15-2022, and we're going to continue with the thought of the week and prayer. Okay, thought of the week. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, If God raises up with Christ, the seated us with him in the heavenly realm in Christ Jesus. We know that our Lord Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. His body was physically resurrected. And he, and he is now in heaven, just as he said, preparing that special place for us. Take a job 14, verse 2. However, what you may not know is that we also raised with Christ. Before you get too excited, let me say that our physical resurrection is still in the future. If that is so, why does this passage say we have been raised with Christ? This speaks of our calling as those who are in union with the person of Christ. This language is reserved for those who have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit in this age. Taken from Rome chapter 6. We are identified with the person of Christ. So that we are said to share in his experience. We are not only saved, but we are also raised up with him. Our Lord is now in heaven at the right hand of God. We are also said to be in a heavenly position because as he as he is, so we are. The baptism of the Spirit identified us with Christ in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ, Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Take it from Romans chapter 6. Verse 3 and 4. God has blessed us up with Christ, and also he raised us with Christ and seated us in the heavenly realms. That's one of us, that's all of us that have the ability to be seated with Christ. Most likely we are identified with him through everything, through his burial and through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So when Christ raised up with Christ, he identified us that we are in union with Christ, waiting for the day that when we physically leave here, we will still have him in glory, and that will receive our glory also. So I'll give this from the thought of the week. I'll take it from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. So I just thought we'd have the right give us open with prayer. Thanks very much, Dave. And do we have any specific requests? I, I do believe we have a new family member on earth uh, who arrived last night. Um, so beyond that, is, uh, any other specific requests? All right, then. Let us take this uh, our thoughts and hearts to God on the throne of grace. And uh, let us bow our heads in humility and humbleness. 
Um, dear Father, thank you for this opportunity that we have to come together um, many miles apart from each other, and yet in one spirit and one baptism, one God of all, who is in all, through all, and um, over all. We ask you to watch over our church, where's Truth Christian Church, and um, those of us on the call and uh, those of us that are affiliated with the church, um, we ask you to to, um, to help us to focus on, on God's word and growing in Christ, which is the opportunity that is afforded this um, afforded us this morning. Um, I pray that we would also remember the mission of the church and remember our personal missions as well. Help us to be mission oriented toward the Father's plan. Let us take the time to, to study his word and to learn about that plan so that we can know what other works that he created for us before time began. Um, I pray for the church worldwide, um, pray for the whole body of, of Christ, um, and let us rejoice with those who, who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Um, as I mentioned, there's a, uh, a new family member who was born into the world. I pray for everybody's health in that regard, the baby as well as the family and all of us. And I pray for those who are sick among us and, and stressed or distressed um, by the challenges of being in this world. Um, and I also want to pray especially for the, uh, the victims of, of violence. Um, I know in my area there's just been news story after news story about uh, gun violence going on. Uh, there's war overseas, and I'm sure there's a, a lot more that can be named. And, uh, we ask that um, you would help us and, and that you would uh, help those in this world suffering those things to see that there is more uh, in this world, that we as believers are not uh, of this world. Uh, we are sojourners here, and let us, let us be mindful of our part in uh, coming to God, uh, um, being tied with God's plan that all people be saved and all people come to the knowledge of the truth. As we earnestly seek God in our studies, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, uh, Dwight. Thank you, Dave. Uh, we appreciate that. Amen. Yes, this is uh, troubled waters in this world for sure. Absolutely. We keep our prayers focused on our objective and in this world. So we're shifting gears and we're uh, going to start our focus. You should have notes. And um, the notes state, as uh, John seventeen eighteen, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. The one thing our focus on this discourse should bring us is the reality of the Father's plan. Taking our time to review this allows us to see it up close and personal. We can see how our Lord understood it and expressed his love towards, towards it. We can see his role as, his, as, as it unfolds and we are simply left with more appreciation and love for him. 
as we see his attitude of love, devotion, and commitment to the Father, it instructs us on the proper perspective. Knowing Jesus in this way adds to our understanding of the new life we have and are to live in this world and beyond. Quote, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. That's John seventeen twenty six. So we are <laughs> focused on the, it looks like a short verse, two phrases we broke it into, so we should be done. After we do these two phrases, one, two, three, we'll be done. No, that's not true. We have a lot of thoughts in these phrases that we want to at least try to bring out, and some by way of review, because we've covered some of this, but as Jesus is praying to the Father, we're just going to keep the continuity of the thought that it's a prayer. And the focus of his prayer is the church. We should note that the focus of his prayer is not Israel. It's us, this new entity that is about to start. And we're right at the cusp of it, right before it begins, which if we were to even put a matter of days here, it's probably like 50 days from Passover to the to Pentecost and was 50 days. So that's how soon all of this is about to happen. Uh, so Passover was the next day. They had the Passover meal the night before, and that's where Jesus has this discourse. So we're going to dig in a little bit. This phrase has a lot of significance. Let's see what he's talking about. Uh, point number one, as you have sent me into the world, this first thought is that Jesus was sent into the world by the Father for a twofold purpose. And you may be able to get more purposes out of that, maybe sub-purposes, and I'm sure you can. But I'm going to say two main purposes here to think about, at least that we get from this prayer. The first, and, and I've tried to boil this down into the salvation purpose and the hidden purpose, okay? So I'll try to organize it that way. So let's see. Salvation purpose is to fulfill the salvation plan for all mankind. So Jesus came to save that which was lost. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And as the world was plunged into sin, he's the Savior of the world. Right? So he has a role. He has an objective. So if I were to take from uh, the first scripture, which is Genesis 3 and 15, which is the common verse that we understand uh, where he talks to the serpent, right? When, when he talks to the serpent, you know he's not talking to a snake, right? You know he's talking to Satan. So it says here in 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and hers, he, Satan, will crush, uh, he, the Lord, the seed of the woman, will crush your head, a death blow, and you will strike his heel, right? You will hurt him. He, he will be uh, startled by being struck on the heel like a snake strikes somebody on the heel, but he will survive. But... Now, so he's talking about the two seeds here, 
the seed of the woman and really Satan, the seed of Satan or evil in this world. Christ is going to be the answer to that. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring, her seed, and uh, and you and your your offspring and hers, her seed. He, her seed, will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. So that from that verse, there are lots of. We could say the plan of salvation is codified in that verse. You could say that, although there's it just needs some explaining, right? It's not just, oh, see, here's the gospel, right? But it is right here, right? Forces that are in this world are, are laid out. And what, God, what Satan has done, he struck a blow when he got mankind to sin. And then God says, I have an answer to that. We talk about the plan of salvation, and you know, salvation um, is a salvage process. Right? If we're talking about being saved, that means we're already lost. So, a uh, couple verses that also speak to this. One I have is Isaiah chapter seven and fourteen, which these are common verses. Hopefully, you you know these, and you you they resonate with you. Isaiah 7 and 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. A virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So get this, a virgin will conceive and give birth. A virgin? That's unheard of. It's not something that is out of the normal experience of uh, procreation. A virgin will give birth and become... <laughs> well, that is not... Uh, that's something God is going to do. He's going to bring forth his son into the world. Let's keep reading Romans 16 and 20. <clears throat> We're talking about the role of Christ in uh, salvation, the salvation plan. Romans 16, verse 20. There's a loads of scriptures I could have brought. I'm just trying to bring some that can kind of not only say what it is, but sum it up. Verse 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. So, again, reminiscent of what we read earlier. It hails all the way back to Genesis 3.15. Paul is seeing that that verse also is one that will describe how the seed of the woman will, or the offspring of the woman, which is a reference to Jesus Christ. Uh, we could fast forward that to where Abraham, he, the promise was reiterated through him. Abraham, all the nations of the world will be blessed through you, through, through you, meaning your offspring, talking about Jesus Christ. Um, so we get that. Uh, we could we could have used that that whole line of reasoning if we were to, to really expand this, but then there's Hebrews two fourteen and fifteen. Um, we were talking about the salvation role of Christ. Hebrews two fourteen and fifteen says, "Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death." he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. Same thing we, we talked about that hails all the way back to Genesis 
but look, we'll keep going. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not the angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. He's just going back to show how all the nations of the world will be blessed. For in in for this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. But he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is he because he he himself uh, suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. So this is the role of Jesus Christ in the world. This is a, an, on a grand scale of things. He has this role. This is the Father sent him into the world to be the Savior of the world. And that's the narrative that we have all throughout the Gospels. Right, The whole thing of John. John says, These things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you might have life in his name. I believe that's John 20, 31, 30 and 31. So if you continue reading the Gospels and all the other places where there are so many references to this role of Jesus Christ being a propitiation for our sins, not for our... Actually, we're coming to that <coughs> continuing thought in point number two. Let's move right to it. Salvation's purpose is point number two. Jesus satisfied this purpose. He did it. He came. He did it by living a life of righteousness in two ways. Living a life of righteousness is one, and being judged for the sins of the whole world is two. So we get the whole chapter of the Isaiah 53. We've covered it before. I won't cover it. I'll just cover just a couple of verses there. Isaiah 53, how did he do it? Right, if we were to think about it that way. Um, so Isaiah 53 <clears throat> where it talks about who he was. He was despised and rejected of men, verse 3. But then, verse 4, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, was on him. And by his wounds, we were healed. And then you could just, keep, the whole thing is about how Christ did it. Verse 10, I'm going to skip on down to that. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And, to, and, and though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. And this whole chapter is dealing with the role of, of Christ in our so great salvation. That's part of the work that was uh, Christ, that he performed when he came into this world. Uh, and then there's 2 Corinthians 5.21, which is also classic, a classic verse that talks about the role of Christ. Uh, the two things exemplified here are God made him that's Christ, who had no sin. He was the lamb, spotless lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world to be sin for us. He imputed the sins of the world to Christ. That's the one thing. So that 
in him we might become the righteousness of God. So you've got two factors here. Not only is it sin is the one thing, barrier that between us and God, God handled that, and righteousness. Upon believing in Christ, we receive the righteousness of Christ. And uh, this is not something just exclusive to the New Testament. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So we know it's, it's something that encompasses the entire world, all of humanity. Those two things, right? So that's the work. Right? Is it easy work? No, it was tough work. Christ had to come and fulfill the will of the Father. He had to come down to this dark world. And there was work for him to do. He was mission-oriented as he got here. And point number three, there was a hidden purpose. When we say hidden purpose, meaning it wasn't revealed in the Old Testament. It was hidden from them, but it was the Father's eternal purpose uh, that is now revealed. So here are some of what we see. While in the world, he was to announce the age, uh, this new age, with its spiritual dynamics. <clears throat> now, we're not going to go through the whole <laughs> John chapters 14 through 17. We just can't. It's just too much. We've covered in detail how Jesus is dealing with this new purpose. It started with him leaving, right? Jesus says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go away. I'm headed back to the Father. And the disciples were distraught. They were upset. <laughs> they were emotional about him leaving, dying. Uh, they understood it that way. And it, it, physically, emotionally, they were upset. And they made declarations, we'll die with you, we'll take us with you, uh, all kinds of things. But Jesus said, no, no. It's, in 16, John chapter 16, Jesus says, you know what? Even though I know you're emotional, it's better for you that I go away. That the whole, So then, because then the Holy Spirit's going to come and this new age is going to dawn and, and so forth and so on. So we'll, this is a lot of review, but it's, we're thinking about the work that Christ did. I know a lot of people don't understand uh, the hidden purpose. To them, it's still hidden. It's really not. It's revealed. And so, uh, but they, we need to understand what Christ says. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will do this. He will guide you in all truth. You will understand. You have know, this new spiritual dynamics. I'm in you. You are in me. The baptism of the spirit. All these things will come into play. That's when um, this new age will dawn. Pentecost is when it all began. So that's this hidden purpose of God. Um, so there's more. Actually, he continues through for it. I won't, can, you know, you could think about all the things we already discussed as part of the discourse. Most of it is dealing with this hidden purpose and preparing the disciples for it. And then there's a um, hidden purpose again in point number four, which is to begin building the church, his church, right? Church didn't exist in the Old Testament. How did he begin? Uh, by calling the disciples. If we've gone back to this point in Luke uh, chapter six, and hopefully you remember this as significant, where he called the disciples. He called them out of others that were there. There were other disciples. Uh, verse 12, 
one of those days, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. So he was really contemplating and communing with the Father. And But then when morning came, he called his disciples to him. And now, so obviously there were others there and chose 12 of them whom he also designated as apostles. Now, this is Luke writing after the fact, which he knows are designated as apostles. So then he goes and he, he names the 12 that he talks about. He even talks about Judas, who became the traitor at the end of verse 16. He, he names him last. And we know Judas did not survive, so into the church age. But in any way, Judas was not saved, but he was called. He was... He was one that the father uh, designated as a disciple. So he gives all the names here of all the other 11 disciples. And uh, this is part of Jesus establishing the church. He, he, you might say, well, he's just calling these disciples because he just wants people to follow him around and he wants to teach. But no, there, there was a purpose in this. And then in 2 Corinthians 5, well, I'm sorry, we're at number 4. So... If we've read that in Luke 6, 12 through 16 and understood that, and then you see what Jesus is saying in Matthew 16, 18, where he says, uh, on this rock, I will read it here, 16, 18. He says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Notice, I will build, future tense here, my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So he's going he's gonna to build it on the earth, and he's thinking of the gates of Hades as the evil that is in this world. We will be able to survive in this world. Even though we're not from it, we're going to have to, Jesus is going to have to carve out a place for us to be able to be here and exist in this world until he comes back for the church. So that's an important part. And then, uh, Ephesians 2, 19 and 20 is the third part of this, uh, where he's building his church. And he, he remarks, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. And he's talking to Gentiles now because Gentiles didn't have um, a calling as far as the plan of God was concerned. We were strangers to the covenants of promise and all that. Now, God did call Israel, right? He called the nation Israel, but he did not call Gentiles as a part of his plan uh, to, to bring many sons into glory. But notice, <clears throat> we are built, but, but we have a calling now, but we are built on the, on the foundation of, a, of the apostles and prophets. Notice, like Luke said, they later became apostles with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. So there's a foundation to the church. And the apostles and prophets here that he's talking about are New Testament prophets. And the apostles are the, the same disciples that he chose, plus the apostle Paul, who replaced Judas Iscariot. So that's, so what are we talking about here? We're talking about this hidden purpose that was not revealed in the Old Testament. Um, does, not necessarily related to salvation other than 
fact that only saved people can be in the church. Um, so the hidden purpose, point number five, is to teach the disciples of this new age and prepare them for what is ahead. So if we look at John 16, <clears throat> this is where, this is part of the work he had to do. Obviously, he was tasked with by the Father. So listen to how it's said here. Verse 6, rather, you are filled with, uh-oh, I'm sorry, that's 16, 17, 6 through 9. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. So obviously there was work for Christ to do in all of this. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. He's talking about the foundation of the church. There is specific work that Christ did in order to bring the church on board, and that's what he was tasked to do by the Father. And he did it. He finished it. He, he, he did what he was supposed to do. He says, I told them what you told me. I gave them the words. They, and, and guess what? They believed them. They're on board. So they understand now. And I'm praying for their protection in this world. So, so it's important uh, that we see Christ and his finished work is not just the salvation work, which most people understand, but that we understand that the, there was a hidden agenda that Christ had, that he had to finish, that he had to accomplish. And he did it. And he did it in a marvelous way, let's just say. And verse, uh, not verse, point number, <laughs> point number six, which is just a quote where Jesus is acknowledging verse four, I have brought you glory on earth, by finishing the work you gave me to do. And that's how um, we ought to see it. We ought to see it as the finished work of Christ. Now, when we, obviously, there's more work for Christ to do, and he's in heaven interceding for us. But we saying, he's saying on earth, right? The time that he had on earth, there were specific things that he had to accomplish. He did those. So let's keep going to point number B in our notes. So Jesus was mission-oriented, obviously. If he knew, he, when he found, found that he had things that he needed to do while he was here, he was about that. He was about his father's business. And uh, when I think about it, I just realize, you know, even if I didn't make it in the notes, which I, I know it was in my head to do it, but I didn't put it in, that we should be mission-oriented. It's probably going to come up somewhere because I know it was in my head. We should be mission oriented because it's, I have sent you, as you have sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. Well, I had a mission, they have a mission, right? Those are things that should be understood. But a couple of thoughts, he was mission oriented and without fear, right? Yeah, I know this world can be a scary place. Things are happening. We just talked about tumultuous times, uh, troubled waters, uh, 
the craziness that's happening in this world, all around us, all the time. If you don't know what it is, just turn on the news. Right? If you're not sure that this world is evil and got things going on that are certainly horrible, then just turn on the news. You will get a full breadth of understanding of what's happening. So, um, but he's about his father's business. Even when, listen, times weren't just peaceful when Jesus was walking around, right? So Luke, let's look at his attitude when he was here. Luke 20, uh, Luke chapter 2, this is our first verse, 48 and 49. Let's see what it says. So what happened? <clears throat> he was gone. Well, we got to go back to 46. After three days, they found him in the temple courts. This is when he was 12 sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. This is what he had kind of separated from his family. And <clears throat> that's where they found him. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. So, but when his parents saw him, verse 48, because they were worried, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. This is his answer to them. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? So this, this is the part that I see. <clears throat> I see Jesus understood his role already at 12 years old. 12 years old. He already was, he had a full grasp. He wasn't mature. He was still under the authority of his parents. But he had a full grasp of understanding. It can be seen in these two verses. One, verse 48. Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Notice his father, was Joseph, was still in the picture at this point, at 12 years old. But notice Jesus says, didn't you know I had to be about my in my father's house? So... Jesus already understood who he was and what his purpose was, what he was doing here. <clears throat> he wasn't just here. Like, we couldn't say that. We couldn't make that comment. But Jesus was about his father's business. And then in uh, 13, same chapter, uh, same book, Luke 13, 31. There's another point to make. <clears throat> at that at that time, some of the Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. <laughs> That's interesting. Uh, people, Jesus has gotten to a place in his ministry where he had already crossed a lot of lines for the religious crowd. Religious people did not like Jesus. If you think about who the religious authorities were in that time, Jesus was at odds with them. In fact, they put Jesus on the cross. So, so verse 32, his reply, Go tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today, tomorrow, and the next day, for surely <clears throat> no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who are sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. 
Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, which is a psalm. So the point to be made here is that Jesus was not afraid. Yes, there was danger. The world is dangerous, but especially religious persecution. Jesus did not shrink back. He stepped forward. He knew what the Father wanted him to do. And then there was John 11, which is another one, which kind of talks about <clears throat> the courage of Jesus. So this is 1 through 16. I'm going to move quickly through here. It was a man named Lazarus. He was sick, and he was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Uh, this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So we know that, talking about the alabaster box, right? But she cracked open this jar of alabaster and it filled the room where everybody was sitting and everybody's head turned and looked and saw this woman wiping, using the perfume, this expensive perfume on Jesus and wiping her feet his feet with her hair. And <clears throat> so, in any case, this is, uh, they, Lazarus is sick, and Jesus loved Lazarus. He was a, a friend of Jesus. So, um, they said, Lord, the one you love is sick. They sent word to him. And Jesus wasn't that far away. Could have got there. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. This is where I was saying, these were his personal friends. If Jesus was in town, he might most likely would stay at their house. It was a common thing for him to be there. But now Lazarus is sick unto death. And they sent word, hey, Lazarus is sick. Can you help us? That's what they're saying. So when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed there where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you. And yet you were going back. Now notice, there's this is they tried to kill you. Stone you doesn't mean like throw stones at you. It means to kill you. Literally. This is bad. If anything, common sense would say to us, stay away from this area. Because this is bad if they're gonna try to kill me. Well, Jesus answered. <clears throat> Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is the person who walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. He's talking about him. The light is the Father's will. He knows that he's walking according to a plan, according to his mission. He's not worried what will happen. People who don't have that, they stumble because they don't really understand what, what they're supposed to be doing. That's us, <laughs> oftentimes. But we, we should walk by the light that God has given us in our age. After he said this, after, after he had said this, he 
he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. The disciples said, Well, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus said in verse 13, uh, he had been speaking of his death, but the disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. <laughs> he was sick and he died. That's why Jesus waited the two days because he wanted to make sure that this is all part of the father's plan. He was walking according to the steps that he wanted um, and to, to demonstrate this. And yet, um, the disciples could not understand it. He says, for your sake. He said, I, I, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let's go to him, right? Because Jesus knew he was going to go raise Lazarus or resuscitate him so that even after four days, he would have been, he, he would uh, be alive. So listen to what Thomas says, which I've never made any sense out of this other than it's a crazy thought. Thomas, I don't know where you got it from or why you would say this, but it was sort of in opposition to what Jesus says. So then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, notice he did not say this to Jesus. He says this to the rest of the disciples. Here's what he says. Let us also go that we may die with him. In other words, he didn't hear any of that what Jesus said. All he knew was Lazarus is sick. Jesus waits there two days. Lazarus died. You're going to go back to, you want to go back to Judea? Didn't they try to kill us? And, and now... Um, you want us to all go back and die with Lazarus. And so that, that's the way it's all going to end. And Thomas, I can imagine him walking behind Jesus and just shaking his head like he doesn't really know what's happening here. This is a terrible thing. I mean, we're going back to a dangerous place for what? <laughs> Lazarus already dead. What for? That's the only thing I can make out of this first. Maybe in one of our Q&A sessions, we'll talk about it more. But uh, anyway, that's, but notice, I love Jesus's response to all of this. He says, in the daytime, if you're walking by the light, you, you don't have no problem. You know, you can clearly see what's going on. But when you're walking at night, you don't know what's happening. So Jesus was mission oriented. That's what this is to say. And point C, Jesus was committed to fulfilling the work and he was committed so John 14 uh, which is last few verses in John 14 30 and 31 Jesus says I will not say much more to you for the prince of this world is coming and he has no hold over me now the prince of this world is Satan and he knows that he's in the discourse here where it's going to lead all the way to eight through through chapter to 17 where we are. And when you get to 18, he says, OK, let's go. We're, we're, we're headed to the Garden of Gethsemane. The very next thing that happens this evening is he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane where Judas is uh, will meet him there with a detachment of temple guards and they're going to arrest him. So he is recognizing that Satan has inspired all of this. And this is what he means. He has no hold over me. I am not worried what is going to happen. I know 
what's going I'm walking in the light. I know what's going to happen. Verse 31, but when he comes, so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what the Father has commanded me. The world may learn I love. This is his testimony. He's doing the Father's will, come what may, no matter what. He, he, he knows what will come. He knows what will happen. And he's going to walk right into it because it's the Father's will for him. He's going to fulfill his purpose. And to understand that this world is not our home, right? We can, we're going to get more of that in the next phrase, but Jesus understood that this world wasn't his home. For some reason, because we're born here and, you know, this is all our experience, we feel tied to this world. We feel like this is part of who we are, but it's not. The terrible things that are going on, on down here do not speak of us at all. We are something other than this world. We are here, yes, but this is, we don't have to defend this world. We don't have to fight for this world. This is not our home. But what we do fight for is the mission that the Father has planned for us. What we do want to show courage in this world regarding is the Father's plan for our lives. Don't stand around defending what the world does and what's happening here. Keep our focus. I like the Colossians passage in this. It says, since you've then been raised with Christ, set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God and not on earthly things. Keep our minds focused on the Father's plan while we're here. That's what Jesus did. So, point D in our notes, Jesus understood a special role in the Father's eternal purpose. He understood <clears throat> this verse, Romans 8.29. Let's read it. What he knew when he was here, that he was going to be uh, the pattern for all the, the new age people, those who are in Christ, the new creation. Let's read it, 829. For those God foreknew, and that's us, and this is before time began, he also predestined, this is before the creation of all things. And what did he predestine us to be? Conformed to the image of his son. Remember, this is the plan. It's not that it just came about. God hid this information. He knew it way before he created all things, but he says, I'm not going to reveal this part of it. I'm going to hide that until it's time to bring those many sons into glory. But those he foreknew, he also called, right? and those he predestined to be conformed are marked out to the image of his son. So our lives are united to the person of Christ. The boundaries of our lives are the boundaries that Christ has. <clears throat> that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So we're like him <clears throat> in this regard. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So 
And then there's Ephesians 3, 10, and 11. So Christ understanding that he had work to do and that even after, but he was establishing something. And that's what verse 10 and 11 will say. It's according, no, it's his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished, notice, in Christ Jesus our Lord. So by Christ finishing the work that he was tasked with, the Father is able to do the work that he had uh, planned from before time began. And how does, how does, who does he accomplish it on the back of? Jesus Christ. There it is right there. The verse speaks loudly to what Christ knew when he was walking this earth. And he was trying to lay out. I just like what he says. I have much more to tell you. More than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. So sure enough, Jesus had a mission. And he was accomplishing it. Point E. Jesus knew all the glorious implications of the Father's calling many sons into glory. He knew. All we have to do is go back and look at John 17, 5. There's just all the verses speak of it, but look at 5. He says, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So this is planning. And they, not only did they plan it, but they saw the glory that they would derive from executing this plan. They saw that glory. The glory that we have that has been given to us is a part of the glory that Christ saw before the world began. So verse, <clears throat> verse um, I believe it's 10, where Christ says, John 17, 10, all I have is yours and all you have is mine. Mutual possession. <clears throat> and glory has come to me through them. So remember, calling out those many sons, being the the, the pattern for, you know, that we would be conformed into him, his image and predestined to be conformed in that way. Christ understood all of that. The, as I say, the glorious implications. <clears throat> and then if you go down to verse 22, he says it another way. <clears throat> he was asking for the glory. In five, I have given them the glory that you gave the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. So that glory that he was praying for in verse 5, before the world began, <clears throat> is the same glory that he has given us in this age. We covered this in detail. I think it took us three weeks to do so, but we took our time with this verse. Hopefully you have the notes we won't cover it all again, but it was um, hopefully something that we would uh, tuck away and remember as a jewel. So, so this is, 
I mean, as, just to paint the picture of Christ coming into the world. Who was Christ? You know, what did he do? What was his role? What what did work? What work did he plan to do? We covered it here, where we know it was in twofold. He had this salvific purpose, and he also had a hidden purpose, a hidden agenda that he that was going on. That thing, there were things that he had to do, even though that hidden agenda is being executed now. He had to prepare, choose the disciples, get them ready, begin to build his church. Right, all of that was going on. He did it admirably. He paid for the sins of, of the world, right? And the Father was satisfied with his work, 1 John 2, 2, where it says, And he, Christ, is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. He accomplished his work while here. And because of that, the Father is able to pivot from that and to do and to complete his eternal purpose, which we will... Uh, see, this is coming. This is still yet future, but it is, we're in the process. So let's keep going. Point number two, I have sent them into the world. So as you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Now he's talking about the disciples, but not just the disciples. Obviously, when we get to verse 20, we'll expand, make sure people understand it's not, I'm not only talking about them, I'm talking about those who will believe in me through their message and that there will be one, you know, the same oneness that he talked about from the baptism of the spirit will be part of our experience as well. So let's get into this one. I have sent them into the world. So we are called out of the world. This is ironic so that we can be sent into the world. It's interesting that uh, we didn't. He's not sending us into the world as Israel or something. We're being sent into the world as those who are the church. This new age. We're not of the world. Israel was of the world. We are not, so that we can be sent into the world. And I have a few verses here. John fifteen nineteen is where it says he called us out of the world. And then, um, uh, let's see, 17, 14 through 16 is, well, 17, I'm already there. 14, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, because they have a mission, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. And hopefully that is clear. And how do we get out of the world? Because he called us from, what did we mean, called us? This is where he says in in 15, let's see, 15, 19. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own, as it is. You do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. So Christ's choosing of these disciples hails back to where the Father told him which disciples to choose. Because the Father is the one that chose them in Christ before the foundation of the world. Remember, they were yours. You gave them to me. We read all that already in John 17, 6 through 9. So so hopefully, it's a little tricky, but... 
we're not a, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. But even though we're in the world, we're supposed to have our mind on heavenly themes. But the fact, like Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, not I, but Christ lives in me. So while we're living in the world, we have access to this world. We have access to work that needs to be done by us. For us to be sent into the world means that there is work here for us to do. And there's a mission, obviously. So point B, we're moving forward. We are not of the world, even as I am not of it. We already read that in John 17, 16, which confirms that we most certainly have a mission here. We do. We're not part of what's going on in this world. Um, I know there's a lot going on. There's countries, different nations. There's politics. There's all kinds of things happening here. There's terrible things happening as well. And, but this is not us. This is not where we belong. So obviously that says we, have a, we certainly have a mission. If God left us here in the world. If he saves us and doesn't take us immediately to where we belong, then obviously he wants us to be here. So there's a couple verses, 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 5. Uh, just want to illustrate this point a bit to help us to be more mission-oriented. 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 5. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, that's the body that houses our soul and spirit, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. So that is our home, an eternal home, a home, eternal place where we belong in heaven. Meanwhile, in other words, until that happens, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. So there's a heavenly dwelling, a heavenly home that belongs to us. And we're here in this body, but we know it. So knowing it causes us to groan. <clears throat> but then he says, because we, when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. In other words, when we're at home and we're, we're in the place where we're supposed to be, we're not going to be found naked. For while we're in this tent, we groan in a burden because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. So that, is, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now that, <clears throat> that verse to me could, re one of these days, if someone would just talk to me about what does that verse mean, we would, I'd like to expand on that a little bit more. It's that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. And it has to do with our heavenly dwelling clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. So we'll get to that. Verse 5. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose. Notice this is a mission that God has made us for, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. So we know that we have a home somewhere else. This is not our home. This is why I said don't be proud of what's going on down here. Don't make it seem like this is part of you and you've got to defend it and you feel like there's some affinity that you have in this world. God has given us a heavenly dwelling. We belong there. Yeah, we were born here. I know. But we 
belong there. That's what we have to see. So that's 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 5, that clearly, definitely says that's where we belong. So Philippians 3.20 is another verse that we should note. 3.20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Savior, he's going to come and receive us unto himself. That there we, there, where he is, there we may be also. If, not, if that weren't so, would, I, would he have told us this? Absolutely not. He wouldn't have told us this if it were not true. This is our destiny. This is where we will ultimately be. This is where we belong. Our destiny is not this earth. We're heavenly beings. This is trying to... This is what he's trying to tell us. Now, he says this word, he says uh, this word, which is translated citizenship, the word is polituma. And this word means the administration of civil affairs or of a commonwealth, the constitution of a commonwealth, a form of government and laws by which it is administered, state commonwealth, the commonwealth of the citizens commonwealth of citizens and this is all the greek dictionary of thayer so what is to say is that we are citizens we belong to a commonwealth of of heaven right this this is where we have rights and privileges that are ours it's not here on earth it's there that's where we belong that's where we are citizens in heaven so you, the question has to be then, as I said, if that's where we belong, why not just take us there? Put us right there now and say it's all done. And we have our consciousness there. We could say that. However, that is to say there is work for us to do down here. That's why we're here. Just like Christ figured it out. It says when he... Uh, I, I like the way Philippians says, this is not in our notes since we're in Philippians, back up to chapter 2. There is a point here where he says, um, when Christ got into this world, who, who, verse 6, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used at his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And here it is in verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, when he understood who he was, who he was in this world as a human being, as one who uh, had consciousness in, in the human, uh, human nature, what did he do? What was his next move once he understood this about himself? He humbled himself. By becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. So that's completing the Father's plan. That's what he did when he realized who he was in this world. And we can ask the question, when do you realize or when did you realize who you are in Christ? Why? 
when you were while you were living in this world when did that happen and what's your next move or is this your next move the fact that you are fulfilling the father's plan for your life so this is important because Christ came to himself remember at 12 at the age of 12 Christ had already figured it out but he knew what he had to do humbled himself meaning he became obedient to the father's plan even to the point of death he let them put him on a cross and torture him and that is the backdrop for the father imputing the sins of the world to christ what a horrible scene but out of it comes triumph victory overcoming the world and therefore as verse 9 god exalted him to the highest place gave him a name that is above every name the name of jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth under the earth every tongue acknowledge that jesus christ is lord to the glory of god the father so he allowed the father to use him for that purpose let's keep going in our notes we're almost done jesus um, or the word pre-existed before his birth as we already read in john 1 1 through 3 in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was himself god and all things were created by him and verse 14 but and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us we beheld his glory it was the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth that's all of that is about Jesus, right? This person. We're talking about in his divine nature, what did he do? Well, he had many exploits, created all things. Without him, there was not one thing made that has been made. What about in his humanity? We just talked about the finished work that he did. Not only did he finish the work of salvation for all mankind, but he had a hidden agenda that he accomplished that work as well. So Christ wasn't born here. I'm, I'm sorry, he, he didn't exist here. He pre-existed, but he had a beginning in his humanity, as we said in verse 14. But we were certainly born here in this world. We did not pre-exist. Only we did pre-exist in the mind of God. That's why I say, however. So in Ephesians 1.4, this is key. <clears throat> I don't know how you would spin this any other way. You wouldn't want to spin it. You just want to read it. Allow God to say what he wants to say. It says here, For he chose us in him. And look at this. Before the creation of the world. Who's in him and in Christ? Before the creation of the world. We were in the mind of God. Not only did God know what was going to happen, he saw all the vicissitudes of, of, of life and how it would all work out to be there being a Dwight or Dave or Bill or Bitsy or somebody would come along and all of the decisions that had to be made to get to the place where you exist, God knew that in his foreknowledge and he saw you and he chose you to be in Christ. That's what this verse is telling us. He chose us in him, in Christ, 
before he executed. He pulled the trigger to say, okay, creation of the world happened. B, he did this first. That is to say he had a plan, a unique plan. So a lot of this, like I said, we needs more discussion. I would say we should make sure we take time to discuss it because it's important. Q&A, where we get a chance to go back and forth and mull it over as we, we need to. But there it is. We were certainly born uh, here in this world in Adam. But however, we God knew he saw all of this. And then if we look at Ephesians 2, 4 through 7, we're there. Let's just quickly look at that. It says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive, notice, with Christ, making us alive as our salvation. But he did it simultaneously as he united us to the person of Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So we have information here that tells us how we got to be in this place, in the lofty place, the heavenly place that we talked about is our home. Positionally, we are already there. Some of us whose bodies have fallen asleep are present with the Lord right now. <laughs> They're already there. But we are all going to be there when we are caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. We will all get our resurrection bodies, bodies that are fit for the environment in which we live. So, point E, notice the power of the work of God is amazing to change our orientation to this world. I mean, literally, we were born here, but now God has completely changed our orientation. And now we, we went from Adam to now being united to the person of Christ. That work is called the baptism of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, we're baptized into one body in Christ Right? And, and that's how we got. This is the, the work of God that literally causes us to go from being in Adam, now in Christ. Or as we could just look at the verse that we read in the thought of the week. Or do you not know that, you know, in many of as us who were baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death? That like as Christ was raised from, the, raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life and so forth. That's Romans 6, 2, and 3. It's clearly telling us that. So we're going to, I see our time. It's headed the wrong direction. So I, want, I don't want to rush any of this. So we'll continue next week with probably verse 19, but we will make sure we finish this last thought and uh, where we are in verse 18. So we'll mark where we are, we'll continue this thought, and we'll 
pick up also, I'm sure, verse 19 next week. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father. We are fortunate. We're blessed. You chose us, and all of this has great significance. So even though salvation is important and how we are saved, the details of it all, more important than all of that is what you called us to, who we are. What is our destiny? And Lord, you've shown us these things vividly in Scripture. Thank you for your word. We thank you for this hidden information, this agenda that is revealed to us. And turns out that it is about us as well. It's just as our Lord said, it's he has received glory because of us. Father, we thank you for those who are here. We thank you for this place where we can come and talk about these important matters. We pray that you will continue to give us room, that the gates of hell will not prevail against us in this world. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.